You are listening to Working File, a podcast about design practice and its relationship with the world. My name is Andy Mangold. And I'm Matt McInerney. On this episode, we're going to discuss design management. And you're going to learn that you've only had bad managers. This episode had a lot of lingo in it. Just half a glass cap, really? That's it? I have a lot more sitting here, so... Oh, okay, I see. That's going to be as the show goes kind of thing. Depending on how long this goes, it's going to be either a disaster or very delightful. Well, it's going to be delightful. Depends on how boring you are, Andy. Come on. <laughs> I got to say, from our experience, the uh, the shows that we think might be disasters end up being the most popular ones, either because people like listening to train wrecks, mm-hmm. uh, therefore it makes a popular podcast, or we have no sense of what's actually good or bad when we make it, and we just have to put it out there and find out. Uh, maybe a little bit of both. Yeah. <laughs> I've only really been drunk, like drunk, drunk, like two or three times in my life, and one of them was on an episode of the podcast because we thought it'd be fun. <laughs> and it was, I think. That you not, remember. Yeah. Not this podcast. A much less professional, uh, much worse podcast. I see. Anyway, welcome to Working File. Uh, so mm. tonight we are joined by Christy Tillman, uh, ongoing contributor and head of communication design at Slack. Christy, how are you? Hi. You just got off work, right? You got off a little bit early to, to make this happen today? No, I didn't. <laughs> oh, you didn't. That's right. We ended up pushing it back a little bit. Either yeah. way, we appreciate you being here, whether you left early or not. And uh, we also have a new contributor joining us, and this is Cap Watkins from, uh, you're the VP of design, right, at BuzzFeed? That's your official title? That's my official title. You are a vice president of design. That's very exciting. Thank you for joining us on very short notice. You know, what's funny is I realize there's no, uh, there's no president. Like, you ever hear of a president of design? There's no one's that. So it's <laughs> no, not like the true. president of design dies and then you become the president. <laughs> yeah, I think, That's I've gone, I think I've gone as far as I can go. I think this is it. <laughs> You've worked your way up to the top. The president is a lie. It's an illusion. (laughs) It's an illusion. So the topic tonight is going to be the, well, you know, I'm actually going to kind of, the the topic tonight is design management. And I I will have to confess that, you know, this episode uh, is stemming from a Twitter conversation I kind of horned myself into that, Christy, you were having on Twitter with another person that has a similar role to you, but at a different company. And, uh, you know, I'm interested in this because my job is largely being a designer and also somewhat to a much lesser degree occasionally doing something you might call design management or maybe a little bit of like creative direction at a small company the you know the titles all blur together doesn't really matter but i know that the position you're in now uh, and the position that our the guest cap is in is a position of largely management of designers uh, and perhaps less of what you know you might call design work in the sense that like you're making things with your hands and you're drawing shapes all day and uh, so I'm going to kind of defer to you on what this topic actually is, because I don't know if we're talking about how to manage designers or how we're talking about how to manage as a designer, uh, but either one I'm interested in. So what are we talking about tonight, Christy? Well, I don't even remember the conversation on Twitter, so... It was ages ago. Yeah, okay, maybe that's what it was. Um, But I think we're talking about the former, so managing actual designers, which is different than managing as a designer. Sure. Because I don't design things anymore. I'm not sure about you, Cap. At work, at least. I mean, if I'm doing that, something's gone horribly wrong. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and just so we're clear about, you know, our language, when you say you're not designing things anymore, what exactly do you mean? Like, you're not in sketch or whatever. I'm not making actual artifacts that are bus- that have business requirements. Sure. But I consider um, being a design manager, in quotes, to be designing a team to be efficient and effective and... Uh, successful, which is his own design project. Mm-hmm. Lots, lots of the same approaches, iter- iteration, experimentation, interviewing stakeholders, all of those types of things that you would do for a regular design project you do, I think, when you're building and growing a thriving design team. Actually, maybe a good starting point would be, what is a day, what does a day look like for you? Um, right now, it is, there's no one day. Um, what I'm doing at Slack right now is my I'm literally I'm literally creating a team from scratch. So the communication design team didn't exist, and um, I, when I started in October, so we're a brand new team within the company, um, and that has a ton of implications. And at Society of Grownups, where I was before Slack, um, I was also the first designer there and fell into design management there. 
um, and also built a team from scratch. So all of my experiences have been literally building teams. So what my role looked like at like day 20 has changed drastically by like day 200. Um, so right now I'm spending a lot of time hiring and looking at portfolios and doing interviews as well as kind of keeping the ship afloat and making sure people around the company get what they need. Um, that will look drastically different. I imagine in 90 days when hopefully all of our wrecks are filled and then I'm starting to you know spend most of my time doing one-on-ones and starting to put in some of the cultural plumbing that needs to exist uh, to keep the team growing um, and making sure designers are doing their best work. Um, so my role will be constantly changing until we get a full team. And I'm sort of used to living in that world because I've done it before. So it's really different than like inheriting a team. Would you say that sounds similar to what you do on a day-to-day basis, Cap? Uh, I mean, we're at a different stage. So, I mean, it sounds like my day two years ago when I started at BuzzFeed was a lot of like, holy crap, I need to hire people right now. So right now, like I manage managers mostly. Uh, I manage three design managers who manage the team. Uh, so I'm, not, I'm kind of past the point of like, like they're, they're responsible for recruiting, right? They're the hiring managers on all the recs. So mm-hmm. I help sometimes with like sourcing or uh, going to a portfolio review, uh, giving them a gut check, right, on a decision they're making. But I'm generally not, uh, it's not like my hire to make anymore, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, the other thing I do... I do some other stuff at BuzzFeed that a lot of people don't know about. So uh, I'm also the VP of IT right now. Um, oh, interesting. The skunk I've been, works. <laughs> uh, I've been doing that for about a year, over a year now, a year and three months, I think. Uh, so I was given the IT team. That's like a global team. It like goes across three offices. It's like LA, London, and New York. Uh, and so I'm managing like that team that does like the help desk tickets, does the like networking for all the offices, um, all that stuff. Uh, and then I'm also product managing our AB tools team. Uh, so they build the tools so that we can AB test things and experiment. Uh, so I work with them pretty closely. Uh, and then I also am like engaged in a ton of like, not like design culture stuff. I, I mean, obviously I am involved in that, but like, uh, I'm actually involved at a higher level in like tech team culture stuff. So like all of product development. Uh, so I ran, our mid-year and annual reviews this last year, like kind of came up with the format for those things, uh, deployed that format to people, took their feedback, iterated, that kind of thing. Uh, I run like manager dens, which we like, which are like these small groups of managers that get together every week uh, to kind of talk about manager stuff together. And that's kind of a cross department at this point. Um, so I'm like, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm at this point where I'm engaged at a much, much higher level and a bunch of, a bunch of stuff that like, I think like, as a whole, like benefits design, but um, but in terms of like the day to day, like recruiting and like the uh, the kind of designer to manager interaction, I don't have as much of that anymore. So, what I'm interested in here specifically is, you know, you both come from design backgrounds, so you both were doing design work before you became managers of the designers. Correct? That's true for you as well, Cap. Uh, yeah. So I, yeah, I was a designer for. I want to say like six or seven years before I started managing people. So what I'm interested in is how that path changes the way you approach your job now, right? Because something that I'm conscious of in my role, and again, I'm kind of like doing the mini, mini, itty bitty baby version of kind of the things that you and Christy are taking on just on the smallest possible scale. You know, our company is like eight people. So it's really, really tiny. Um, But, you know, I am the design person in that sort of space. And something I'm very conscious of, uh, self-conscious of, frankly, is that, you know, management is basically a whole other job you can go to college and get a degree for, right? Like that's kind of what getting a degree in business is. I'm sure there's a specific degrees depending on where you go in business management or in, you know, specific subsets of that. And, uh, you know, as somebody who has a background in fine art, ostensibly, I'm self-conscious of kind of inserting myself into that world and being like, ah, I know how to manage things because I did shapes and colors for a long time and have a degree in that. Um, so I'm curious to know how your histories for both of you have affected how you approach your job now and possibly giving you a different perspective than somebody who maybe did go to business school or maybe has a you know different background. Well, I actually did go to business school um, before I went oh, to school. Oh, I had no school. idea, actually. Yeah, so I actually have a degree in business management. And it, has, and it, doesn't, it does not affect the way I run my teams at all. So um, You're saying your first degree doesn't? No, it doesn't. Um, 
No. But your your history as a designer does? Uh, yes, absolutely. So I think my, my history as a designer does. And also, I think the biggest thing right now, because I have not been managing people for as long as Cap has. I'm like on my fourth year of doing this now. Well, four and a half years. The managers that I actually had as a designer probably have informed my management style the most. And I mean, both good and bad. I've had a spectrum of folks uh, manage me, you know, as an individual contributor. Um, and that really shaped me in a lot of ways. Like, what kind of manager do I want to be based and also what kind of manager I never want to be. Um, and those things have, you know, shaped me way more than like going to business school or even like my individual practice as a designer. And it has been a lot of trial and error. Also, a lot of self-reflection. People are hard and complex, but also people are super rewarding. You know, it's a it's a long, like, gray area between. So um, a lot of hard-won fights, like making lots of mistakes and being very transparent with people on my team about, like, look, I'm trying this. It's my first time doing this. Um, with my last name, I was very open. I was like, look, you guys saw me fall into this. So, like, you know, bear with me. And I realized that your career and your um, progression are like at the whim of me, like getting getting things right and just being very transparent and having just building genuine relationships with people. is sort of like, you know, my philosophy and, and, and it has worked like uh, my last team that I um, just left. We have a very, 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 very strong relationship. We all still keep in contact and some of them have wanted to come with me and, you know, for other reasons, they couldn't timing issues and, and such. But. Yeah, it's really been a lot of like my own experience as an individual contributor and having good, both good and bad managers uh, that have shaped my experience mostly. I don't have a lot to add there. I mean, actually, I, I haven't, I've only been managing people for like four years. Okay. So I, I agree. I mean, like the, I didn't know what a good manager was for a long time, I don't think. Like, I, uh, I think a lot of people have this problem where, you, you know, the only, manage, only management you know is the management you get, kind of. Mm -hmm. uh and so you wind up in a situation where like myself like i went through the first you know four five six years of my career with managers that i mean looking back on it like really sucked like we're really bad mm -hmm. um and like didn't realize for a long time that that was true um because i didn't know what to expect like i just kind of thought like this is what it's supposed to be i guess uh and then around like the third or fourth year of being a designer i read managing humans by uh rands uh michael lop and i was like what <laughs> i was like that's what's supposed to happen <laughs> what, what's well, a one-on-one -on -one? what is this and like i just like read this whole book and all of a sudden like i wasn't even a manager yet and my eyes were open to like all the terrible things that had happened to me <laughs> actually what how do you characterize good and bad management at this point in your life like what what were, what were your horrible experiences uh i mean and everything from, like, someone who's, like, super dictatorial, right, to somebody who, like, doesn't meet with me very often, doesn't advocate for me, doesn't, like, help me learn stuff, doesn't give me a path to growth, um, doesn't actually, like, the bare minimum of tell me if I'm doing a good job or not. Uh, like, these are all things I just figured out, figured I had to do for myself. And I think part of that's coming from, like, a startup background where I was working at, like, my, my career started at like a five person startup and my first three jobs were very similarly sized um, where you don't really think about that that much uh, and you can't and it's not something that's happening. Uh, but when you, you know, I went to Amazon, it was like that was where it was supposed to be good, probably. And it just really wasn't. And so then like I kind of added all that up to decide like, OK, well, I don't want to do any of that. So I'm going to try to like, I guess, Costanza it and do the opposite. Um, of all these things and so like instead of hiding things I started sharing things and instead of not telling people what how they were doing like telling them how they were doing you know like just kind of like doing everything that I that I always wanted basically um, and that's taken me pretty far I think what I've, I'm coming to recently is uh, like I obviously there's a limit to how much I can do with that experience because I only have so much of it and so now I feel like I'm turning into this situation where uh i'm actually learning a lot from the people that i manage so like the managers that i'm managing at buzzfeed particularly like sabrina who's one of the managers there like gives me a lot of very direct helpful feedback and pushback that uh, and just like is opening my eyes to things that i didn't know i just didn't even know right were important um or i didn't understand and it makes sense when i'm told it but like it's hard to know because it's like I'm not building on experience anymore. I'm building on like new things, mm -hmm. which I think is is exciting and also extremely terrifying. So 
I'm also curious to know, like, and, and forgive me, this is a podcast that's, you know, about design. So I'm going to keep pointing it back at design because I'm trying to find the connection here. Um, I, I, I do wonder, I, I, had, I had an experience. And again, I'm talking much smaller scale. But when we started our business, I didn't want to do any of the business stuff, right? Like that was a necessary hurdle in order to do the design work that I wanted to do. You know, I felt like, okay, fine, we'll do these contracts. We'll do these, you know, agreements with clients. We'll come up with these, you know, all these all these little pieces you have to do when you're like running a business, I figure we just do that and kind of get over it. And over the course of the time we've been running our business, I've become more and more interested in approaching those things like design problems, which is something that Christy kind of mentioned earlier and alluded to. And, you know, basically saying, okay, well, if we're going to have to have an NDA or we're going to have to have a, you know, engagement letter, or we're going to have to have an offer letter for someone we're going to hire, let's approach these things as opportunities to represent our values to somebody formally and not approach them as these kind of boring formalities and basically approach the problem as like, we're going to design a system that's in which designers and in my case, developers can succeed, right? That, that is the sort of challenge that I feel I'm taxed with. And that was exciting to me because I genuinely felt like the things I was interested in about graphic design with a capital G and a capital D, which was never really like colors and you know, compelling shapes and posters. It was always systems and you know how you extend things and how you account for variability within a system uh i, I genuinely feel like those things i could apply to this new problem um do you feel like the your background in design has helped you in that direct way or some other way or not at all it, it sounds like both of you are just basically saying having been a designer and been under other managers i learned how to be a good manager and now i'm doing it uh and i'm wondering how the actual you know Things we share as designers are the fundamental, you know, building blocks of our profession are, are involved in that conversation, if at all. So I kind of cut my, I, I consider I cut my teeth as a designer IDEO, which is, you know, a very process oriented uh, design studio. And I feel like that process um, has been actually tremendously helpful um, in the idea of like constructing and building teams. Um, just the idea that there's going to be a lot of experimentation and iteration and measuring so just really enacting that design process on the team. Um, I'm super transparent about that. My last team, I would try, we tried all different types of methods. Like after five people, um, it became increasingly hard for me to have a good purview of the what everyone was doing, right? Um, but I didn't want to err in, on micromanagement, right? I didn't want to be over people's shoulders and asking them, they're adults um, and great designers, but it was like, how do I get that information? We tried all different types. We did like a weekly report. We did some stand-ups. We did a Slack channel stand-up. Like we tried three or four different things. Um, and the, I would always ask them, well, how does this feel? Is this, you know, is this a burden to your process? How does it affect your workflow? Um, I would also, you know, look on the other end and see if I was getting the information I needed to report to my boss about what was going on, right? So there was tons of experimentation around that um when we were talking about design values what what would make a successful team there was a lot of lots of iteration on that design paths for growth like i mean it was all it's all basically like designing a one big um puzzle that's been my experience like building teams um especially from the ground up uh lots of trying lots of trial and error especially with a bunch of new personalities so that's been both of my experiences right like coming together with a group of folks I've never worked with before and they've never worked with each other before and trying to figure out how do we build our culture and our rituals around those personalities and those synergies. So that takes a lot of experimentation and just being really transparent with folks about like, this is the, this is an experiment. I'm open for your feedback. Nothing's permanent until we get it right. Right. So all of that process I've used on, um, on teams, I use it all the time. Were there any concrete takeaways from that or is it just, the idea of experimentation and, and making sure you go through that with every new group of people. Well, the concrete takeaway is uh, investor, uh, investors, designers feel super <laughs> invested um, in the process of being a member of that team. And that's um, super important to me. So not for me to just like impose processes on people um, without respect to their time and their feedback, right? Making sure that the team is a really good way um, I've found to make a group of new folks feel like they're all in this together um, is that they're actually active and participating in building the design culture that they're going to be working in. So that's a huge takeaway from that. And it generally works. Like people will want to do the thing that they've been able to get feedback in. They also really understand it. If the conclusion is that we're going to do, you know, like 
We're, I'm gonna, I need you to do this daily report for me. I know it sucks, whatever, right? They've seen that we tried other things and it didn't work. Even And there's sometimes as a manager, too, you have to impose. You just have to say things. You have to be super direct, um, for better or for worse. You just don't have the time to particularly experiment. People people have trusted in you that, you, that you're doing that for a reason, right? So there's there's lots of ways to, to get by in that in that way. We, one thing you did mention uh, when you started talking about this was the idea of like, oh, ne- once I have to manage more than five people, that becomes difficult. Like, what has your experience been like moving from a scale of maybe you have a team of less than five people, clearly you're now at a team of much more than that, or at least trying to build that. Like, how have you learned to manage something like that? Um, I haven't gotten there yet. So my last team was Six people, yes, six people. And when I get finished with all my recs, I think we'll probably be at nine. Um, and that's just the first build out of the team. It will nine people won't get get done what we need to get done. Um, but that's what I'm starting off with. Um, and I that's too many for to directly report to me at least at that point. Um, as well. So the idea of managing managers will happen pretty quickly. Actually, what's your what's your limit for yourself? Like how many people can you oversee and even and know what's going on? Man, six was really hard. Like that was like the limit because if I was doing one on one weekly, um, so that's like six hours. And I, I like to take I like to go back and take notes and do action items for my one on one. So, um, so add another week gone. Yeah, add, a, <laughs> add another hour and a half to process those notes. Like. So you're looking at like seven or eight hours just on one on ones out of a forty hour a week. Um, so it can it can go very quickly. So six people is kind of the max I think that I can really handle if I'm giving them like you know a ton of attention. And something you said resonated with me too, which is that the the things that are more natural for me, which is either you know because of just who I am as a person or because of my my training and background and practice as a designer. The things that are most natural for me that help me the most in the management parts of my job are a willingness to accept when an idea is wrong and move on to a new one, which I think is something that kind of gets ground into you over years of criticism amongst peers or criticism from uh, a manager or uh, your boss. You have to learn not to like get married to your ideas and instead just try them. And if they work, you embrace them. And if they don't, you throw them away. Uh, and the other one is just having a decent sense of the ways in which a system will break at its limits, being able to extrapolate and occasionally interpolate things to figure out like, well, if we do this at our Monday morning meetings, it's actually going to take a lot longer in these situations. And that's going to cause people to get disengaged and being able to kind of foresee that and understand how things kind of live in a system like that has been something that's kind of helped me a little bit. Um, And those things I do, I do associate those things very strongly with design specifically, Mm -hmm. like, it's the same way you have to understand like, well, if we are trying to make the page look like this, what happens when someone's got a really long name and the post is really short and this image is a really tall aspect ratio. This is all going to fall apart. Uh, it sounds like a stretch, but it's the same part of my brain that no, also... It's, a, it's the exact same thing. Yeah, for sure. Can I, can I tell you what drives me crazy about this whole thing? Yes. Yes, yeah, uh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Cap, don't you know what podcasts are for? They're just for ranting. Yes. This is just rants.mp3. Oh yeah, I was going to go off on a to- uh, like a total tangent. I was going to talk about some, you know, how the lines of the grocery store are really long, and that's yeah. bothered me. <laughs> what's the deal um, with snow? No, what's <laughs> that's true. Uh, what's really bothering me about this is the. Uh, I feel like I mean the the thing we're kind of all like circling is that term like design thinking. This is a term that comes up a lot. Uh, we're like inject design thinking into your organization, and people will like think about these things right in this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think what's interesting about that is so I, I, I'm working across all these departments, right? And I'm like talking to managers, I'm talking to HR people, I'm talking to, you know, uh, people that are impacted by the decisions we make on all those teams. Um, and everybody thinks this way. Like, it's not design specific. Like, there isn't like a, a good manager is going to think about the impact of their decision making, regardless of whether or not it's a design manager, right? Whether or not they have a design background. These are all things that like... Like HR is going to be thinking about the people they impact with their decision making, maybe in a different way, and a different with a different set of concerns than you or I might have. But like they still go through what you would kind of dub a semi-creative process that is iterative and would, if you like backed up, really looks like like very similar to what For we're sure. describing here. Yeah. And so like I feel like there's this um, 
so I, I get asked this stuff sometimes, like, how do you, you know, inject design thinking? Like, how do you uh, take design and apply it to these other things? And I'm like, well, I don't, right? Like, because uh, they already do this stuff. Uh, More like, how do you as a designer stop thinking that the way that you figured it out is the uh, the canonical way to do it, and everyone else is just, you know, living in your world? I think that's a well, real issue we have as designers. Yeah, I mean, I think we're at this point where it feels very exclusive to me. Like, it feels a little excluding to just phrase it in this way to set it up as like, well, we have the one true way, like of thinking about Mm -hmm. this stuff. Uh, And I think, I mean, I do think there's like, there's value to us being in these conversations, right? I think like the thing we bring is potentially like strategies for finding out how people feel about stuff, right? We bring tactics maybe that like wouldn't be available or unexperienced from other, like unexperienced by other departments, right? Like HR may like be sending surveys out and that may not be the best way to figure out like how these changes are going to feel to people. Right. Like, how can you like, sure, you know, we bring user interviews or we bring like maybe maybe we do bring something more of an iterative process or like a different perspective. But I don't I don't know. Like, I feel like there's a uh, like there's just as much that we can get from these other places, from these other people or like other good managers from other teams that like can seriously change the way that we think about things just the same way as we would with other people. For sure. And I definitely I agree completely. And I I don't mean to imply that, uh, you know, design is a process that is the objective right process and should be applied to everything. And once you apply it, you'll see the, you'll see the one truth of the world. I, I, I more meant that it's kind of interesting that some of the skills, there's skill overlap, I guess is what I mean. It's not that uh, we're taking design and using that as a, our approach to something else. It's more that, well, as a designer, I developed these skills and it turns out if you just twist it and turn it a little bit, that's the same skill that this other person is using to do this different thing. Which is to say that, you know, perhaps a good HR person would also make an excellent design manager because yeah, they, it, it are, makes you, know, you wonder, right? <laughs> it, it really does. Uh, you know, I, I, I have a, I'm a very much a generalist, so I have a very like holistic view of the world. I, I, I very much feel like there's a good chance that HR manager could be an excellent design manager uh, because, you know, what is really the difference at the end of the day? But uh, but yeah, I, I agree completely. I, I tend to cringe a little bit just anytime anybody says the word design thinking because it okay. sure sounds a lot like just like thinking. Yeah, and it also it also has this implication that like other people aren't creative, which I think is not true at all. I think that's just kind of a. I mean, well, I, I think it comes from this place of uh, like I remember when I started designing stuff, and this was like in two thousand, like professionally, like as like a job. It was like two thousand and six, and in two thousand and six, a lot of people that I worked for, like I was doing some freelance work, a lot of people thought that my job was to make things look a certain way, right? Yeah. Like that, that's what my job was, and I wanted to be a part of like. maybe because I'm a generalist or whatever, I wanted to be a part of like what it was and why it was the way it was. Right. And at that point, that was actually a problem for design as like a discipline. Like I think like when I moved to San Francisco and started at my first startup, like that was still something that came up a lot with like the designers I talked to, uh, that they were still kind of like fighting those battles. Like they were like tons of blog posts written about this was like the the topic of the time was like, Mm -hmm. how do we get into these conversations? And so now we're at this point where I don't, I think we've kind of overshot. I think we don't realize that we've got it. <laughs> like we did it. It's done. Like yeah. people hire designers now. They expect them to be, you know, involved in, in more than just making things look a certain way for the most part. I think, you know, obviously that stuff still exists in certain places. Uh, but I was like, going to say, do you think that's maybe just at, you know, progressive forward thinking, fairly modern companies like Slack and BuzzFeed and not at places like older institutions that are bigger or perhaps institutions that are not coastal and you know it, it, do you think it's actually widespread that people are approaching design as, as we're talking about it here i think it's widespread for like for the people that i recall like writing about this all the time and like thinking about this all the time and talking about it all the time like it has been solved like it's a solved problem like i like i i, I probably i don't know like i've hired product designers from oklahoma i know that like you know sonic drive-in there's a product yeah. design. They have a product design lab. It's really cool. And there's this oh, great awesome. product. I, I tried to hire a product designer from there. He wouldn't leave. Because, like, <laughs> it's too good. It, you laugh, but it's crazy. No. Like, I mean, like, he, he lives in the Midwest. Like, it's that's great. Know, it's where it is. And, like, so I don't know. Maybe it's a little more widespread than we even think. I bet uh, he's got a much nicer house than he could afford in New York. Or San Francisco. <laughs> or San Francisco. Uh,. Well, that, that's but, very encouraging, I think, uh, if that is actually the case. Uh, I, obviously, I don't know. I'm just sitting here in my house in Baltimore, not talking to anybody. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think if that is the case, then you, you said we might have overshot. You think that we, uh, I definitely feel like designers are likely to try and overreach 
their own personal boundaries or the boundaries of their job. I would call us eager to get involved. Uh, what ways do you think we've overreached kind of collectively? It, it's not in the like wanting to get involved. Like I think everybody should want to get involved. Like I, I think like engineers should want to design, designers should want to engineer, all of them should want to do product stuff. Uh, I think that makes better stuff. Uh, I think overshooting is it's like we kept the chip on our shoulder. We kept it like it didn't go True. away. We didn't get rid of it. It's just like we're still kind of ticked. And I don't know why, like, because when I look around, I'm like, man, like, this is kind of awesome. Like, everything's just kind of great all the time. Uh, <laughs> and so, I, I'm glad to hear somebody say that, Cap, because I've been looking around for the past, oh, I don't know, uh, four or five months. and Everything seems a little messed up. But... Sorry, I just mean inside of a company where I things know, are yeah, safe and warm. And... Sure. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it feels like we're, we're, we're going to this place. We're, we're going to the place that we we're fighting against a little bit, right? We're starting to build up a wall, like a round design that makes it feel like this ivory tower that like, oh, you need design thinking. Oh, you need us to come like teach you to think about things and teach you process. And like that, I don't know that that's necessarily true uh, or good for people uh, personally, but. And I also, I share Matt's cringe at that term just because of what you just mentioned, right? I feel like design is very likely to latch onto an idea, rebrand it because we're good at that, and then sort of pitch it as if it was our own unique special idea that we came up with and aren't we the special ones. Um, so I just recorded my high, my high resolution podcast with Jared and Bobby and they asked me what did I think the design trend would be in the next five years. And my answer was that design would decentralize within companies and that more um, people outside of outside of design departments would be using design processes and designers would be less important within companies. So let's see if that happens. Um, that's my, <laughs> that's my contribution to that. To, to Cap's point, do you think that's already happening? Um, I know that, you know, I mentioned the things that I think I bring to the table when it comes to making quote unquote management decisions. And you know, there are software developers in my company, they bring those exact same things to the table, right? Because if you're writing software, you also have to iterate and find the solution that works correctly and not get married to your first idea. And you also have to even more so understand how systems are going to extend and bend and break at different limits. So, you know, these skills are not necessarily mutual to us as we've kind of established. So I, I, I do wonder if this process is just kind of designers opening their eyes and realizing that, oh, yes, uh, in our industry, we call this, you know, iteration and, you know, a think wrong. And in your industry, you call this a brainstorm or, you know, the sprint or whatever you want to call it in a different kind of specific field. But I, I'm, I'm likely, I I'm want to look at different people doing different things and see the connective tissue and see like the, the, you know, unifying theory of how people make stuff. Um, but maybe I'm being overambitious. I think so. I think from a business perspective, it's kind of inefficient to have design be hoarded by the design department. Quote, quote. Um, so I, you know, I, I run a communication design team at my old job. I, I ran a brand team and, um, and a product team. But now that I'm now, now that I'm only running a, a brand team that has to service the entire organization, um, I, you know, I have a different lens. One of the things that has come, you know, come to me is um, how inefficient a lot of the requests are that we get. So when people say or sales might come to us and say, um, you know, we, we just launched this new product and we need a deck and we need a two sheeter. We need this and this and this to go out and sell this thing. And I'm just like, why do they need that? Um, why do they keep having to ask us? Um, so one of the things that I've really been thinking about um, is how do we remove ourselves as a bottleneck? Uh, to set up teams to make and do their own thing. So um, someone in sales, they had the software and I created a template um, for them um, so that they can continue to modify that particular template to do X, Y, and Z in this, in this particular software. And now that team is set up to be able to go do these things. Um, they have a kit of parts and they, can, and they can move things around and do it without having to come to the design department. Um, so I gotta say, Christy, I, I think uh, you could definitely argue that you're taking a designer's approach, right? Like in many ways, you're describing a brand system. You're gonna set some rules, and then you're gonna hand it over to some company, and they're gonna run with it. And you have to basically set the boundaries so that totally. there's enough room. Totally, the to designer's play. approach, and it's 
you know, it's sort of like putting ourselves out of business, right? They don't have to come um, and <laughs> ask us to do this thing. And then uh, when our CEO asks us to, you know, do a headcount request next year, that's I can say, well, I've set up sales to do X, Y, Z. I need one less designer than I would have asked for if I hadn't set up sales, right? So I think Something- to some degree, there's some business, there's a huge business implication um, around this kind of idea of decentralizing design uh, in an organization from an efficiency and profitability perspective. Have you, I have a question for you. Have you, have you considered, I, so I, I considered this a long time ago and never really pursued it, but uh, I've been thinking about decentralizing design in a different way, like in, in terms of brand design stuff, like, like uh, obviously for the stuff that you can kind of give people the, control to do it themselves like that's great but there are also obviously things that are still going to come oh, totally. uh and i've been thinking a lot about like the headcount request part right because i'm making requests on behalf of all these other departments and like it's hard to build the case because you can't like you're not those departments to like to invest right because and so i feel like brand design tends to be behind because of that uh and so i've been considering and i've kind of talked to some departments about this and it seems possible i've been like why don't you request headcount for I think you need two designers and they can like be on our team. They will like uh, report into this team. They will get support from our team, from the brand, from the design team. Right. They'll get their like reviews from us, management from us, all that stuff. Uh, but like that, then they will be like dedicated to your business unit and they will learn your business unit and they will like, you know, be able to contribute at a high level mm-hmm. to that unit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then you have like other departments investing in design. And like, it, it's an interesting, conceptually, yeah, it's I mean, interesting. It, that's the way the product, the teams work, right? Yeah, right, right. Oftentimes they sit on the pillars, right? Or pods or whatever each company calls them with the engineers, with right. the project manager, right? And product manager. And they're embedded in that team and they report up through design and they get their craftsman leadership from design, but they learn that specific feature or that specific uh, product, right? And they pretty much never let it go. That's an interesting way to think about it from a brand perspective. So um, before I started at Slack, we had one designer um, who was kind of dedicated to growth marketing. So she did a lot of the website stuff. She reports into me now. So she's the only, she was the only designer that was working on brand stuff outside of the product team. Now that I'm growing the brand team, people are asking. And it's interesting you said that because I've actually had this conversation with people who are like, I, marketing is like, I need someone to do emails or I need someone to do ads, right? Um, right. And it would be interesting to say, ask, have them ask for headcount to do that. The conflict with that, though, is when you talk to designers in interviews, no one wants to just do those things. Like, they come on a brand team because they say, I want to do a bunch of different things. I want to try a bunch of different things. And part of their, part of the appeal on being on a brand team is the idea that they get to do a bunch of different stuff. Like if you interview mm-hmm. des- brand designers, that's almost always what they say. I'm um, in particular at a company um, in a team maturity stage that Slack is, it's like, okay, wow, I get to come into this company. That's super cool and help define what brand design means there. I would never be able to hire designers. If I said, Hey, come work for me. You get to do ads. You work with growth marketing <laughs> and all you do is email banners. Right. Never in a million years um, would anyone come work for me. But I think like I think your idea makes a ton of sense. And if it's something I've thought about, it is just a complete, yeah. uh, complete 180 from what designers expect when they come to companies and on brand teams. Well, and the way I thought about it was like having them on a rotation. I was going to say, yeah, put them on a cycle. You know what I mean? To like you, you have the slots always for those for those teams. Mm-hmm. Right. And maybe for if there's like if there's like really deep work to do, obviously having someone kind of dedicated to that is good. Right. Um, but for stuff like ads or like email templates or whatever, you could conceivably be like, well, we'll always have those slots and we will be rotating people in through there. Right. Like like just like you would anyway, kind of. Um, I don't know. I, it's very half baked. I, I haven't done this. I, I don't I can't recommend it because I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> I think it's I think it's really I think it's worth a, a lot of time thinking about seriously. Um, Because it already plugs into some conversations I've had and some thoughts I've had. Um, So, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to sit with that one. (laughs) Please don't hold me accountable. I mean, one thing I did do, like um, design mythology um, methodology was, you know, go around and talk to different uh, stakeholders 
um, before the headcount request for this year and say, hey, what are your big projects that you have? Um, so yeah. that I could actually be making a formed decision. But it's interesting, the idea that they would kind of hire their own designer. And, and coming back to what you said earlier, Christy, about uh, being afraid you put yourself out of business, uh, I, I would be surprised if that were to happen. I don't know th- about how Slack works internally, but assuming that the company is growing and doing well, I have to assume that design is just like almost every other job, which is to say that you could always be doing more of it and doing a better job of it. And uh, I, would, I would guess if you proved your worth by you know making things faster for sales or whatever, that you'd only be asked to make things faster for everybody else and then make them look better and also be faster and just more, more, more to infinity. Um, do you think it's actually a thing that threatens to, to put you out of business, so to say? Uh, do you think it's actually something that could, that could lead to being to less designers, quote unquote, at a, at a big company if you do a really good job at decentralizing things? So I said that sort of flippantly. Um, I feel like designers are like the one of the most insecure professions ever. Like if you look look oh, at design sure. Twitter, all people do <laughs> is like complain about design and want to make design this unapproachable thing so that they always have a job. Mm. If you look at some of the arguments, the, that's like the crux of the argument, right? Like there was that's a huge so true. argument about like, what was it with uh, Jared Spool? And he said something yeah. about like everyone, the designer and people like oh, everyone lost their minds. <laughs> oh, it was so beautiful. <laughs> I loved it. I, I, you know what? I, everybody hates design Twitter. I love design Twitter. <laughs> it's the best. I don't know how you do that cap. It's, I don't even follow the spool guy because of that exact reason. Oh, like so I, I could not I abide it. He's like, it's, it was no. such an innocent thing too. And everybody just lost it. Yeah. I, I love design Twitter too. There are definitely seeds of deep insecurities embedded in our industry i think a large a lot of it comes from the fact that we are kind of lumped in with like fine art right like most people that study design formally at a, at a like university or college are studying it amongst other fine artists that are doing painting or sculpture or you know god forbid drawing or something uh and so i think that uh you know a lot of us are the I also, you know, anecdotally, I've known a lot of designers that basically got into design because they grew up as creative kids and they wanted a job that was also creative, right? Like if they could, they would be painters or they would be sculptors, but they know that making a living that way is difficult. And so it feels like, I think to some people that design is like the last bastion of like a way you can possibly make a living doing, you know, what to some seems like frivolous creative work. Um, and also, you know, I myself feel insecure about design because I look around at the world and I say like, well, what, what am I doing to make it better <laughs> given the state of affairs uh, of, of everything? And here I am with my particular skill set. But yeah, I, I, I definitely think there's a deep insecurity and that can definitely have negative effects inside an organization like the ones you're describing if the people feel like they are going to lose their jobs. So you don't feel that way then, Christy. You feel like it's actually fine. No, I think they'll always be like... People can only do so much work in a week, right? Like, the design departments aren't going away. But I, I do think there's a lot that we can do to help our teammates and other organizations. Uh, I think I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with, like, giving away the trade secrets, basically. Um, I think Kat made a good point that, like, you know, um, someone in HR could already be doing those things. And giving them our tactics um, to improve on their already on the processes that they already could be using. I, I just, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, and I think it just makes business sense um, to do that. So no, I don't, I don't think the design departments are going to go away, but I do think that um, those tactics could be useful to a lot more people and that we should not hoard them in the, in the name of being employed. I mean, look, we like, we built a CSS framework at Buzzfeed that essentially sets it up so that any engineer can just build a thing and it'll look like BuzzFeed and everything's fine. I think that's what CSS is supposed to be. <laughs> I, I think you did a good job. But like, but I mean, what's interesting is the designers, like, just like with the, with, you know, pre-baked keynote templates or whatever could feel threatened by that, but none of them do. They actually feel very liberated by that because it's, uh, I think when you speed those things up, you're preventing designers from making what they kind of see as like, minutia decisions that are like not as impactful so like in a keynote template or whatever like deciding on every single deck like where the text is gonna go is kind of a bummer even to a designer right like to like like it's very Mm -hmm. tiring it's like yeah for sure who really like at a certain point you're like who really cares right there's like there's this moment of like you have those moments of uh you know self-awareness where you're like who who cares uh (laughs) and like 
<clears throat> it's the same thing with product design, right? Where it's like, do I have to pick the green, another green? Like, do I use which one of these 32 greens that we've already implemented do I use? Like, they're starting to put they, the they, button in the bottom right and the back button goes in the top left and we'll go from there. Right. Just like, here's the color, here's the button. Now make experiences that like work, like actually work well and perform well. Right. And here's like this kit that you can use to like, you know, and we can challenge that kit if we need to. But it, they feel very liberated by that. They don't feel constrained. They don't feel like worried that like, oh, we aren't going to need product designers because engineers will do our job for us. Like, that's not how they feel about it. Um, and, and that, to me, is something that I think we've learned from engineers, frankly. Like, the idea that you can work on your tooling and improve your frameworks and build things that will make it easier for you mm -hmm. to build things. It basically, get mm -hmm. to the work that matters. Uh, and, you know, being close to the development world and seeing how many new frameworks and libraries and languages and text editors and all of the sort of you know, the orbiting accessories of being any kind of software developer, how many new things there are in that world is all because, you know, when you're a developer, you're working on this thing every single day and you're working in software, you're working in software to make software. So you're really, really close to your tools and it's very easy to make a new tool if you have to. And uh, there's limits to that, right? They're diminishing returns. It's certainly not celebrating all of it, but it's very interesting to see how that sort of lesson of, you know, a little bit of work up front to abstract this thing or to make a system that will then make future things more easy means that i can spend more time doing what i am uniquely fashioned to do as a skilled human and less time doing what a computer could already do because i have some rote system that i've you know given shape to that's the thing i think about all the time too is just if i'm doing something that i think a computer could do i'm just like well this is bound to go away sooner or later like i could i could never get that sad about it because isn't the world going to go that way no matter what I do? If it can be automated, it's going to be automated. I better get good at the things that can't be. And I think most designers would agree that the thing that makes them good at their job probably cannot be automated anytime soon. I don't want to talk about AI and the, you know, stupid whatever. <laughs> we become the same with the machines. What's that thing called again? The singularity. That's the one. That thing. I don't want to talk about that thing. So short <laughs> of that, you know, I think most people would agree that the thing that makes them a designer is not something that is just, oh yeah, every time I get the slide, I put the text big and white and in the center, and that's why I'm a good designer. Uh, it's like Cap alluded to, thinking in a bigger picture about the experience that's going to hap happen when we string together these screens that, yes, have consistent margins and have consistent typography and you know, have this sort of system applied to them, uh, and less about actually making those decisions repetitively over and over again. Can I just say that I love how this podcast is no longer about design management? <laughs> well, they never end up the way they started. I know. Um, I, I do want to. I want to push Cap on one thing because Cap, you mentioned that uh, you know you think that if more people are more interested in everything, right? Like if designers are more interested in engineering, engineers are more interested in design, and everybody kind of understands each other's language and shares a sort of passion for it, that we just get better stuff made. Mm. And I almost completely agree with you. Uh, I do want to play devil's advocate for a second and point out that I, I think I worry sometimes about how much I agree with you because I do think that there's something to be said for like the trappings of modern life basically allowing for specialization where before specialization was not possible, right? And I think some of the biggest advantages of working at a big company is that you can have people that are extremely specialized and very, very good at something that other people would not be capable of doing given their other sort of tasks and sort of focuses. So I, I wonder just where you draw the line, right? Because uh, if everybody should be interested in everything, surely you don't imagine some future world where everybody working at BuzzFeed has the exact same skill set, because I think we can agree that would probably fall down. So how do you know where to say, this is where we stop, right? This is how much you should care about this thing that is not actually in your job description. Mm. Uh... I don't know if I believe there are lines necessarily. So I, I believe in expertise, not specialty. I don't know if that, there's like a very fine line, but I feel like specialty, like this, like, or ownership. Like I, I believe in like expertise, not ownership, if that makes sense. Uh, so uh, I don't know. Like some designers at BuzzFeed write are like, uh, write a little CSS. Some designers at BuzzFeed write JavaScript. Some designers at BuzzFeed can play around with Python, right? Like it's like it, it like it, it's kind of up to the person to be interested in what they're interested in. I mean, obviously we push them in a direction at BuzzFeed uh, because of my own personal preferences, which I'm sure uh, that's probably not a good idea. Well, if you're really good, then it's probably fine. <laughs> but don't mess <laughs> up. <laughs> it's the important thing to remember no, there. But like, I just don't know what the problem would be. Like, I, I, you say it would fall down, but would it? I mean, like, there are so many people I know 
who are multi-talented at so many things uh and like what's the what's the fear of that right like if i had a designer who could actually build what they designed at the same time like is that wrong or bad like i don't feel like it is no Um, so the thing that pops up for me is like, so I, as again, our company is very tiny. And as a very tiny company, we don't have the luxury of not being right. generalists, right? Like you just can't do it. Uh, and there are so many times where I think about how much better our work would be and how much more efficient it would be if we were just a little bit bigger and we could have a person assigned to doing this mm-hmm. kind of thing and another person assigned to doing that kind of thing. And so we're kind of living in a little tiny, you know, tide pool uh, that's like a little experimental Petri dish of what it would be like if almost everybody had almost the exact same skill set. And, you know, I, I do yeah. wish not that people had different skills, but that people were liberated from the ownership of having to do essentially everything. Sure. All the time, I mean, like, right? I mean, you want people to, like, I mean, specialize maybe is the wrong word that I mean, like you want accountability for specific things. Like even if someone is good at a lot of things, like let yeah. them accountability for things. I mean, I feel like that's like, that seems fine. I mean, to, to like, to give an extreme example, I, like I worked at, when I worked at Amazon, it was the only place I've ever worked that split up user experience design, visual design, and like front end development. They're all different. I never understood what those words meant. Yeah, well, <laughs> I just, I mean, you, people, it, but this is what you're talking about, right? They were like, oh, well, we're big enough now that we can like have people really focused on system architecture stuff, like really deep UX thinking. It was deep UX thinking. Like it was deeper than anything I've ever done. And like, that's what I, that's what we specialized in that by UX group. And then there's a visual design team and you'd hand off these like wireframes with like flow diagrams and stuff to them. And they would make visual design work. And then they would get handed off to development. Right. And like the issue was that visual designers didn't understand what we were doing. Right. And they weren't thinking about UX type things like touch, touch target sizes or, you know, legible font sizes or whatever. Uh, and it all kind of falls apart because, like, when you start to specialize, then, like, you have these moments where, like, wait, this isn't your job. Uh, you know, this is my job. It's my call. Like, that kind of, you start to, like, build up these, these things that, uh, even if you don't mean to, I think. And, like, I, sure. I really, I agree that we need people to be accountable for an area, right? Like, I want a designer accountable for the final design output of a project just like i want an engineer accountable for the final engineering of that product how they do it i don't care like how they interact how they collaborate like like if they uh if you know emily the designer writes a bunch of code for this like and the engineer writes a little less code like great right like kind of who cares if we had somebody who could do it all like just give it to them <laughs> like let them do it sure uh, so, you, so you're basically saying you, we should embrace interdisciplinarity but not embrace inter-accountability like not 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 muddy the waters when we have shared skills with shared accountability maybe i mean i as long as you can as long as you can point to accountability that's all that matters right so if it's one person or five people it doesn't matter like as long as there's accountability for the thing i mean you even have that at your startup even though you don't think you do like everyone's a generalist but everyone's accountable right and you're trying to get to where you're accountable for less which is fine as long as that accountability goes somewhere do you know what I mean? Yeah, so, I do. I'm just I'm cringing at the word startup. Well, too. I'm just over here yeah. cringing. <laughs> Small company that is a, a, an upstart, if you will. We're really a lifestyle business, Cap. That's how I would describe us. Uh, we're just trying to live That's our right. lifestyle. Um, all right, let's go to the last word. So this is the last part of the show where, you know, every... Here's what I do. Every time I finish recording an episode, I say, you know what, Andy? Your homework before the next episode is to come up with a good name for the last part of the show. And then I forget to do it. And then I arrive at this moment in the show and have no name for it. But uh, everybody gets a chance to kind of get into the last word. Um, I want to start with an anecdote, which is, uh, Cap, you mentioned very early in the episode that people only know the management they've had, right? That like your, your bias is formed by the experience you've had. And it's hard for you to know what management is if you've only ever had bad managers. And uh, the most visceral way I experienced this in my life is that I grew up only eating steaks that were extremely well done, like beyond well done because my father love him to death uh just doesn't believe that steak should be anything but extremely well done and so i genuinely wondered when i was up until going to college at like age 18 i genuinely wondered why does anybody like steak this food is bad it's like tough and chewy and tastes like a charcoal briquette like this is just not good food people are misguided and then freshman year of college my roommate makes a steak 
does it rare, hands it to me. I'm like, I'm going to get sick eating this steak. What are you doing? You can't, you can't eat this. He was like, yes, you can. <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to get sick. He's like, no, you're fine. And then I ate it and I was like, holy crap, this is what steak can be. <laughs> this, and I like, I'm still, you know, now I love steak, obviously, but I'm still, it's so visceral for me how I spent most of my life genuinely not knowing that steak could be different. Uh, like, that's what that noun meant to me. When I heard that word, I was like, ah, yes, a piece of rubber that's tough and you could use it as a doorstop. That's what I imagine when you say the word steak. Uh, and I can only imagine that's even more true for something you have much less exposure to, right? Like I had had probably 50 steaks as a kid and you don't have 50 managers when you're working at a job. So I think it's important to remember that, uh, that bias because it's a very real thing when we're trying to sort of establish what makes a good and bad manager. None of us have that much experience, right? Like who's been managed by 50 different people? Probably almost nobody. Anyway, Matt, what are your closing thoughts? Oh, I shouldn't even get closing thoughts in this episode. I'm barely a manager, Andy. I manage like a couple of people, and I think that's really hard. I think I should just listen to Cap and, uh, and Christy on this one. Cap, closing thoughts. Matt doesn't want to say anything. <laughs> I mean, to kind of go back to that point about people not knowing, I, I, I feel like there's this sense from, uh, I'll, I'll call them ICs, like the people, people being managed right the people that get managed uh ICs uh individual contributors so we call we try ah. to split the tracks so we have we have to call them something uh, sure and so between like the people that contribute to the work and the managers it's like there's a sense from the contributing side that like when you have a bad manager and you know it like you're just kind of ticked about it and you're and you think that they're like incompetent and you complain about them i've done this like this is totally i i can cop to this uh and I think that there's two things to know. I think the first thing is that that manager probably has a bad manager themselves. Because if they didn't, then they'd be getting like mentorship from that person and they become a better manager to you. Um, so I would say, like, first of all, have some empathy. If you have a bad manager, like, kind of understand that like, they, they probably are also not being managed well. Uh, uh, and the other thing I would say is because that's true, I think it's up to, it is up to managers to do this, but it's also up to like, people being managed to take their relationship with their manager into their own hands a little bit. Uh, I think, like I said, like reading that book about management is when I wasn't managing anybody was really formative um, and really changed what I understood I should be demanding as a, as a contributor, right. From my manager, like it changed my perspective about that. And I think like read a management book, even if you're not managing anybody and like, if there's good stuff in there, it's okay. like you should just ask for it. Like obviously, like if you have a really terrible manager, they'll just like tell you to get lost, and then you should probably do something else with your life. But the, but I think knowing there's just like a mis- there's like a lack of education out there to let people know what they should even be asking for. Um, and I feel like a lot of people are willing to let the buck stop at their manager, and it actually stops with them too, because uh, it's a coll- it's a it's a relationship right like i'm a manager and all the people that i manage have a relationship with me and it goes both ways um and so that's that's the thing i would say to people listening to this is like if you don't manage people read management books anyway uh and like learn about that craft because it impacts you every day it impacts you during reviews it impacts you during one-on-ones it impacts you during the work you're doing like like make that relationship a priority to get better at um and things will get better for you probably and one quick thing to add to that, because I want to reinforce that, is that uh, it's something I always encourage people, um, especially like students or people that are just entering the workforce to do, is to really provide a lot of feedback to their managers and employers and bosses. Because I think there's this like imaginary wall where you assume the people that are higher up than you must have figured it out and or already thought of the thing that you would say and or already decided against it because of this hierarchy. But Having been on both sides of that, it, nobody knows what they're doing anywhere. So uh, a, a good idea is a good idea no matter where it comes from. And uh, I think people need to be encouraged to provide feedback even when it may feel like they're stepping out of, out of, their, uh, out of their place. Yeah, uh, that's as, true. As my, my boss who runs all the entire product development department, uh, her, her name's Dow. And she, in my annual review last year, and almost every time she and I drink together now, she was like, no, you tell me what I'm doing wrong. She was like, I need to, like, I need someone to tell me, like, what's going on? You know, what am I supposed to be doing yeah. that I'm not doing? Like, when do I drop the ball? Like, I really need you to do that for me. Um, and I thought that was super interesting. And, like, it is, it is super true that, like, yeah, you have to tell people 
how to get better or they're never going to get better. Actually, I barely gave a final word, but I will say this. The one thing I have learned, I'm in a very similar position to Andy in that, you know, I have a small company. I am, you know, one of the partners there. And so we have, you know, 10-ish people. Um, I always want that feedback. So I've just tried like every avenue together to get it, whether it be like ask somebody, send a survey, like how many different mediums can we try? And it's it's inefficient, but I've learned like everybody has a different way they want to give you feedback. So just find the way that they can talk to you and let them do it that way, as opposed to just assume you can stand up in front of a room and say, hey, so what do you guys all think about it? Raise your hands if you want to talk about it. Christy, put a bow on it. Bring us home. I think my final thought might open up more thoughts, but I think it's interesting that, um, so in theory, I agree with Cap's final thought. Like, I definitely think the manager-contributor relationship is definitely two-way street, and that ICs definitely have a responsibility um, to curry that relationship. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I don't know if this is like a privileged conversation. The idea that you can just offer feedback to your manager is such a foreign concept. I would say probably to 99.99% of all people. Um, people are often at the, mer- like there's just a huge power dynamic. Um, when you manage someone, um, when you're responsible for hiring and firing, when you're responsible for their raise and bonus, um, that I think the onus is on the manager. I think there's, I think there's, there is a more heavy obligation on the manager, uh, to make sure you're pulling from your ICs, what you need to help them. Um, people, people aren't often just in positions where they're just going to offer you um, feedback unless you just have a really great relationship right so I've had relationships with people that I've managed where they would definitely call me to the carpet they would like set up a one-on-one uh, with me to give me feedback or um, they would send me an email saying or slack saying you know you said that something um, that you know hurt me or it didn't come off right right and I can accept that feedback but I consider that a very special relationship I have I think of all the people that have managed me I think there's probably been one person well two now my current manager is really great um, where I felt like I could actually just offer them feedback without there being a retaliation, um, without there being like, um, punishment for, or stunning my actual growth at a company. So, um, as a person who is like non-male in this conversation and non-white, I would say that, um, the idea that people just will, that you can just give feedback to your managers actually is just a completely foreign thing. Uh, and when you're managing people, you should you should think about like the perspective or that they that they're coming from um if people aren't speaking up on your teams um i think it's your job to kind of reach out and and pull that from them yeah i mean i agree with that i think the i mean for what it's worth like my my overarching point is i i just think that people aren't educated about what they should even be expecting you know what i mean i think people deal with bad managers a lot yeah like to your point christy they they deal with it and they don't even know it like, you know what I mean? They don't even know that they're being treated badly, that, or that retaliation isn't normal, or shouldn't be normal, sorry. Like, that sh- it, shouldn't be, it shouldn't be accepted, you know, just like, as, oh, well, I guess that's just what management is. Like, I think mm-hmm. there are, like, I think the more that contributors can get, can learn about what, like, the good craft of management could be, like, the more that... The more likely it is that they are will, will be will, unwilling to accept that situation. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I think, like like I said, like for a long time, I just I just dealt with that for a long time and didn't even know it. Like I just had no idea because you know you're like you're two years in your career, like you've never been managed before. You know? Yeah, I think Chrissy has a really good point. Um, and and it's worth noting that you know the whole job of a manager, presumably, is to be the one to reach out and to bridge that gap and to make the effort, mm-hmm. right? Like. To, to, to what Christy said, it's not really fair of anybody in a management role to expect that somebody is going to be willing to go out of their way and maybe step out of their comfort zone to give them that feedback. I think it does have to be the manager's job to, to work to bridge that gap more than anybody else. Sorry, I was muted. That's totally true. Podcast made. (laughs) (laughs) You're you're muting it every time you take a big glug of wine. So it's funny. I'm drinking wine. I'm also on like day eight of like a cold. So I keep muting to like hack up terrible things and then drink wine. Well, you did an amazing job. No one would have guessed it at all. And we could edit that out and post that anyway. So thank you for for being so. uh, (laughs) Anyway. Are we done? Is the show over? We're done. So uh, what do you all want to plug? Uh, Cap, you want to plug your forthcoming book? or What are we plugging here? Uh, no. Uh, 
I, uh, I, I've been having a hard time with the book because of the aforementioned political situation we're in. I feel like weird working on it uh, in this particular I climate. understand that. Uh, uh, we are hiring at the Play Buzz. I mean, sorry, BuzzFeed. Uh, if you uh, are a product designer and you want to do some fun work and uh, with some rad people, you should get at me. I'm, ju- I'm just at Cap on Twitter or Cap at BuzzFeed.com. Very jealous of those handles. That's... <laughs> <laughs> So short. Yeah. So if you want to work with Cap and, uh, you know, work under a good manager, then uh, get at him. Christy, what do you want to plug? Um, I don't have anything to plug right now. I can plug that we, too, are hiring. I am hiring, looking for two designers, especially those with um, really deep um, web chops. So if you can make nice marketing sites that are functional and beautiful and efficient, uh, you can email me at Christy at Slack-Corp.com. Or Twitter Chris, at Christy T. K-R-I-S-T-Y. How about that, listener? Two plugs that represent career opportunities for you. What more could you ask for from a podcast? I've been hearing about how your manager's so bad all this time, you didn't even know. And now you get, you get some jobs. It's a pretty good podcast. Go read a book about how bad your current manager is. And, and then when you're us. done reading that book, yeah. apply for one of these better jobs. See, it, see, it, it all worked these out. better managers. This whole thing worked out. Exactly. <laughs> been working file thanks for listening matt and i have just one request for you listeners we make this show all we ask is you do one little thing which is that if you enjoyed it go onto itunes give us a nice review it really does help and if you somehow got a job out of this podcast i'd say you're obligated to give us five stars if you got hired by christy or cap because of this podcast and don't give us five stars i don't even know what to say to you 